Bible, go to Mark um, chapter 9 is where we're going to be uh, this morning. And I, um, I recognize it's Christmas, and so this time of the year I wanted to uh, share a couple things with you just, you know, uh, through the season. I want to remind you about the word partnership that we talked about last week. And I want to encourage you as you are involved in a partnership with Jesus that would be about the gospel. That our lives would be a testimony in our community. Uh, opportunities where God puts us in places where we can talk to people about Jesus and share what he's done in our own lives. And I also want to encourage you this time of the year, and I know it's kind of weird, but spiritual growth. Uh, it's a time in our lives as we uh, enter into a season and, uh, and also the time where we as, can be dumbed down as a church to realize that, say, Jesus, my life should be perfect because I have a relationship with you, so you just obey my commands. And Jesus has an opportunity to challenge you to be spiritually mature. Grow in your relationship with Christ. And I realize every Sunday morning that we gather, there's a choice that will be made. And as I've been thinking about uh, the Word of God, I was listening uh, early in, a, on, in the morning uh, to Moody Station, and, uh, and God was just talking, and he said, you know, the Word of God is actually our Father's words to us. I want you to think about that. What you have in your hand or your, however you're using it, this is your father's instruction to you. And I've learned over the years when I had my earthly father that he, when he would give me certain words, he had expectations of me. And he just didn't say things just for the fun of it. He wanted to share and instruct and encourage me in certain things. And I learned over the years if I usually did what he asked me to do, it usually worked out for my benefit. Uh, if I did not do what he wanted me to do, then he used to use the thing called a spanking to rearrange my focus to make me think about what he said to me to go to it a different way. Y'all are clapping because I got spanked? That's not very nice. Wow. Gee. This is rough this morning. It's Christmas. Y'all are supposed to be in a giving spirit. I don't want to get spanked. So this morning as you look at this season, I just you know, re- recognize that you're going to make a choice. And you're going to make a choice when it comes to the cross. And I know this morning if I would walk around and had every single one of you a million dollars, you would treat me differently tomorrow. And in a sense, we've got a better gift than a million dollars. We have a gift that provides eternal life, hope, peace, joy, comfort, forgiveness, mercy, companionship, strength, help, love. That's what's been given to us this Christmas. And so when you walk out of here this morning, and you go about your different ways, my word of encouragement for you is not to be a taker, but to be a giver. To stop and say, this is what God has done for me, and so because of what God has done for me, because of what Jesus Christ has done for me, I'm going to live my life differently. And so a word that I want to share with you, one word that I want to encourage you with this time of the year is the word servant. Mark chapter 9. If you look through the book of, of, if you look through Mark chapter 9, you'll see some very interesting things. You're going to see Jesus do a miracle. There's going to be a boy uh, that has been uh, possessed or a a demon that is uh, causing this young man great uh, distress and, G- and the disciples are going to get involved with this young man and, 
and the disciples can't cast out the demon. And then if you look at 25 through 29, Jesus saw that the crowd was running to the scene where this boy had been fallen down in convulsions. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him, never enter him again. Then the spirit shrieked, convulsions, shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked as if he was a corpse. And then Jesus said, or people said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive him out? He replied, this kind's come out by prayer only. In, in Mark chapter 9 and verse 30, you're going to get some more uh, instructions. And Jesus is sitting down with his disciples and talking with his disciples. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him. And after three days, he will rise again. But they did not understand what he had meant and were afraid to ask him about it. Then you chapter 9, verse 33, you read these words. Then they came to Capernaum. When he was with them in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who's the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, If anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a child and, and, and had him stand among them. Taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome, I'm sorry, and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but also the one who sent me. As I was reading through this passage of scripture, I'm thinking about disciples, and I'm thinking about Jesus, and he heard these disciples arguing. And what are they arguing about? Who's going to be the greatest? Now, it's interesting that Jesus continued walking and didn't address the situation as he heard it. He knew what was going on. He could have stopped and said, excuse me, gentlemen, I've got a life lesson that I want to teach you, and this is how I'm going to go about it. No, he waited until they got to a house. He waited until they sat down, and then he did something that I think is really interesting. He asked them a question. And the question was, in Mark chapter 9, what are you arguing about on the road? Did he know the answer? Yes. Did anybody respond? No. So here you've got Jesus in a situation where he's sitting down with the disciples and there's silence. He knew what was going on, but he wanted to teach them. He wanted to sit down in a room and have a conversation with them. He wanted to give them some instructions, not a large group, in a house, smaller setting. He's sitting down, he asked a question, complete silence. Can you imagine how embarrassing it must have been? For Jesus to ask you the question, what are y'all arguing about? Well, you know, Jesus, we're not arguing about who your death. We're not trying to argue over why we couldn't cast out the demon. We're arguing about who's going to be the greatest. 
Who's going to sit on the right? Who's going to sit on the left? Who's it going to be about in this kingdom? We want to be right next to you. We want the recognition. Can you imagine how embarrassing that must have been? And so now Jesus says some things to them. If you want to be great in Jesus' kingdom, guess what? You have to be a servant. Now think about the disciples' culture. Think about the Jewish nation. Think about the leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. Think about those who sat in high places. And their leadership role was to lord it over people. Hey, look at us. We're the leaders. We're the dictators. We're the ones telling everybody what to do. Now you're in a living room with the Messiah. And he sits down and says this to you. You want to be great in this kingdom? You're going to have to be lax. I know what you're arguing about. I know you're arguing who's going to be on the right and left. Hey, you know what? You want to be arguing about that? You want to sit at the right and left of me? You're going to have to be a servant. Not like what you see in the culture. Not like what you're arguing about. Well, I did this. You did this. I, oh, no, I did this. Maybe that's where the one-up story actually started. And you love me around men's conversations. One man will tell a story, and the next man has to tell a better story. Can you imagine the one-up conversations of these guys walking down the road? Well, I was there when this happened. Why well, did this? I didn't. No, no. You want to be great in Jesus' kingdom. You have to be servant of all. You want to be great in Jesus' kingdom. You have to tell yourself that you will be last. You know what would be really interesting? The next time we have a church potluck, if there's an argument over who's going to be last, or nobody will go first because they want to be great in Jesus' kingdom. If you're hungry, go ahead and eat. It's interesting. It's almost like they're going to have to train themselves to make deliberate choices to set themselves aside in order to honor their Messiah, in order to honor their Savior. Some neat passages uh, as you look through this, and, and I just think this is interesting. I'm not a great golfer, but if, if somebody was going to give me some instructions on the golf course, do you think I would listen? Why? Because I want to play better golf. Really? Just because I might want to putt better or drive better or chip better, I'm going to have somebody go and tell me what to do. And then you know what we do? We pay people to tell us how to do this better. Here, I'll give you, I'll give you, I'll pay you. You know what happens the next time you go out? You do the same thing you've always done. You know why you're doing the same thing you've always done? Because you didn't listen to your instructor. You didn't really listen to his words. And so this morning, as you look at the word of God, it's instruction. Will you listen to the instructor? Will you listen to his words? Will you listen to your father talk to you this morning? He wants to give you and I some instructions. And so he's going to use words. And so as you think about the servant word, I want you to go with me to Mark chapter 10. So just flip to the right in your Bible. A little bit farther, don't know how far the time frame is. Then James and John and the sons of Zebedee came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do something for us, whatever we ask. What do you want me to do, Jesus said. 
They replied, let one of us sit on your right and the other on your left in your glory. Jesus said, verse 38, you do not know what you're asking. Jesus answered, can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I've been baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I've baptized with, but to sit at the right and to the left is not for me to be, to be granted. These places belong to the one for whom they have been prepared. Look at verse 41. When the ten heard about this, they were really excited, right? No, they were indignant with James and John. Go with me to Matthew chapter 23. Matthew 23, verse 10. Nor are you to be called teacher, for you have one teacher, Christ. The greatest among you will be your servants. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. It's Christmas. Will you humble yourself? Will we stop and say, Jesus, I want to make a deliberate choice to be a servant. Jesus, I want to make a deliberate choice to be the one who attends to others' needs freely. You want to be great in Jesus' kingdom? That's what it will cost you. That's what will be required of you. It's interesting as you enter this time of the season, go to Luke chapter 2. As I think about uh, the word servant... Maybe this is a great picture for you. Luke chapter 2 in verse 1. In those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that the census should be taken in the entire Roman world. This was the first census that was taken while Cornelius was the governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to be registered. For Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth to Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house in the line of David. He went there to Regulus Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting, she was expecting, verse 6. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for him in the end. I think one of the most vivid illustrations of a servant is a man. Because one of the most precious gifts to us are children. And I'm sure, pretty sure, that most of you, when your child was born, you made sure you had some type of blanket to wrap them in. You just didn't use whatever cloths were around to say, okay, this is all that we've got So it'll make do. 
And I'm pretty sure that none of you, when your child was born, that did you put them in a feed trough. That's where Messiah was laid. We like to make it look nice in a manger. We might like to make it look pretty, but it's where the animals ate from. That's where they put it. That was a choice that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords said, Hey, I want the world to know at a certain time every single year, it's called the manger scene. I want them to see a vivid picture of a servant. And I want to make this picture so clear that there will be no room in the inn, that they will find a manger, some type of a dungy cave where they kept their animals, and say, that's where I'll be born. I'll choose that place. Now, can you imagine later on the disciples as they thought back over all the things that Jesus taught them? Can you imagine as they came back to Mark chapter 9 and remembered walking down the road, arguing about who's going to be the greatest when they were standing in the presence of the greatest individual? When they were remembered five years later when the Holy Spirit was living inside of them, that my Messiah was laid in that manger in Bethlehem. I'm sure that those pictures in their mind motivated those men with the help of the Holy Spirit to live their lives different. To live their lives as a servant. Go back to Mark chapter 9. It's going to be another picture in this passage of Scripture. I call it a word picture. You can call it an illustration. You can call it how, how, whatever your terminology that you like. But Jesus is going to take something that's very common that these disciples knew about. And Jesus is going to take a child. And he's going to demonstrate with this child about a servant. He took the child and had him stand among them. He took the child and he put the child in his arms. And he said these words. Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. Now, you know what I think is really interesting with this word picture? Number one, I think it's, a, it's really neat that the Messiah is now holding this baby in front of these disciples and this Messiah knows about every single cell in this little baby's body. That's fascinating. That's exciting. But what I think is really interesting is is with child, with a younger child, if you pick them up and if they're not pitching a fit, and if, if this child was pitching a fit, you know Jesus could have stopped it and that kind of need to. Hey, behave yourself. And he could actually hey, behave yourself. And it worked for him. You know, we say behave yourself. They just still kind of do what they want to do. It's called sin nature. I'm sure none of you have that problem. But anyway. Now get the picture. He's holding this baby. Now what do babies normally do when you hold them? They'll look at you. You know what's interesting about a baby? It's never rude for a baby to stare at you. Right? Never. And it's really even, you know, as we, we talked about on a, on a Thursday morning Bible study, it's almost like, you know, in another situation in, in, in Luke, 
the, the baby turns and just gazes at Jesus. His eyes are just fixed on Jesus. They're not going to move. And so you've got this little person in the arms of the Messiah. And in front of all these guys that were arguing as they're walking down the road, he says to them, hey, you want to be great in my kingdom? Here it is. What? A child? What's a child going to do? Where are they, how's a child going to help anybody? How's a child going to cast out a demon? How's a child going to be... No, no, it's not about what you do, gentlemen, that are sitting in this room. It's about where you go for your power. It's about this little one. What I think is neat about children, children are very trusting. Children have simple faith. Children will humble themselves. And so as he's holding this little one in the group of what we would call leaders, we would call the disciples, we would call these are going to be the guys that the foundation of the church is going to be established on. As they're sitting, what a leadership team. Think about that group that's going to change the world with the help of the Holy Spirit. It's going to be radically changed. You and I are going to hear the gospel because of the group sitting in this room. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon this group, they're going to move out like warriors all around and they're going to be willing to die. In that group of people, in that meeting, he wanted them to learn this. You want to be great in my kingdom, you have to be a servant. You have to be humble. You have to be trusting. Just like this child. It's almost like you're saying to those men, Will you accept my Father's will? And I find this really neat. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me, my dad. You know what's neat? He didn't tell these disciples this just one time. He told them a couple different times. And he told them in another situation. Take your Bible, go to Luke. Chapter 22. Let's get to the end of ministry on the earth and We talk about Passover and the Lord's Supper. And so this group is gathered together again. And they're sitting with him again. And he sends Peter and John to to make the preparations. You look at verse 13. They left and found the things that Jesus had told them. So they would prepare the Passover. When the hour came when the apostles reclined at the table. Verse 15. Then he said to them, I'm eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And then he goes through the Passover. As the one sitting there, he said, guys, I'm going to offer my body for you. 
I'm going to be the one that's going to be broken for you. Guys, I'm going to be the one that's going to bleed for you. I'm going to be the one that's going to shed my blood for you. And these guys that before had seen time and time again the Passover lamb that would be sacrificed. They would, be, they would know what it would be for the shedding of blood. They would know what it means to watch that animal die. They knew that. But now they're sitting in front of their Savior. And he shares those words with them again. And then Jesus says to them in verse 25. The kings of the Gentiles lorded over them. And those who exercised authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you shall be like the youngest of the ones who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is not the one who is at the table, but I'm among you. Among you as one who serves. Wow. Sitting at the table, Passover supper, is the Messiah. Sitting across from him are individuals called disciples. He says to them again, guys, you want to be great in this kingdom? You will have to be servants. And what a better, no better demonstration of a servant than the cross, than a manger scene. No better vivid picture for you and I as we celebrate Christmas. Have a blast. I know you're going to eat way too much food. You're going to make New Year's resolutions, how you're going to lose the weight that you gained over the Christmas season. You're going to look at your credit card bills and say, what in the world was I thinking? But you know what I really want you to see? It's a manger scene that illustrates a serpent. What I really want you to see is that the greatest gift has already been given. You cannot buy the greatest gift. I know you're looking for it for that individual, but the greatest gift has already been given 2,000 years ago. It was born in a manger for you. One last passage of Scripture that I want you to just look at is John's Gospel. In John chapter 13. Verse 12, when he finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them, you call me Lord and teacher. And rightfully so, but that's what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. 
Mm-hmm. Verse 34. A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. How will they know that you're his disciples? There's a little word right there called IF. If you love one another. Not if you put your lights out. Not even if you set up your Christmas tree. Not if you're at Walmart buying gifts for so-and-so. No, no. They will know that you're part of this group. You're one of His disciples if you make a choice and say, you know what? I will humble myself. When Daniel Henderson was here, he said the so what clause. Here's your so what. It's your choice. Your father will speak to you through the Christmas season. He's already spoken. He's already demonstrated his love for you. It's called a manger. He's given you some instructions. Just like he sat with the disciples. In that room. If he was alive today, he would come sit or stand or talk to you in this room. And he would say to you, if you want to be great in the kingdom. Guess what? You will have to make the choice to be a servant. Will you follow his instruction? Will you look at the word of God and say, you know what? These are my father's words to me. What's he saying to you? Choice needs to be made. Opportunities available. Will you stop and say, you know what? I will make the choice to be a servant. You know what's interesting? Not one of us like being a servant, really. Because we have a sin nature. It's easier for every single one of us sitting in this room to look out for number one. Take care of yourself. The manger scene goes totally against that picture. wonderful thing about Christmas is the best gift came in a manger. The baby in the manger grew and gave us some instructions. What will you do with his words? I recognize this morning that if I'm truly going to be a servant, there's only one way that that's going to take place. It's going to take place in me accepting the free gift of salvation. I can't love and I can't serve unless I've been loved and I have been served. And guess what? I have been loved 2,000 years ago because my Messiah was born in Maine. 33 and a half years later after he was born, he made another choice. To be a servant. And he gave up his life for me. 
it blows my mind to think that God in heaven, number one, would allow his son to be born in a manger. Number two, that the God in heaven had a requirement for his son in order that I could be part of that family. And that requirement was for his son to be the Passover, for his son to be beaten, mocked, for his son to die on a cross for me so I could be part of this. That's mind-blowing to me. That somebody would love me that much. But it didn't stop there. Three days later, he rose again. He's alive. And the power that is available to me to be a servant, because I stop and say, God, I need your help today. God, I need to see what you see. Because I know what I see. I see a lot more people in Highlands County than before. Six months ago. I see a lot more people driving differently than six months ago. I see a lot longer lines in Walmart than six months ago. I see the up-close parking spots and think it has my name written on it. Thank you so much. No, no, I want to be a servant. I'll go park out there. God... I need your wisdom. God, I need your strength. Because I can't be a servant in my own strength. Now, I can be, if if I get my naps right and I'm doing okay, I can be nice for a period of time. But after a while, there's something inside of me that just has to come out. It's called my sin nature. I'm sure none of you struggle with that, but in case you do, I want you, didn't want you to feel left out here in church. God, I need you to strengthen me because what my Savior did was this. What my Messiah did was that. And what I want to do is be a servant. God, I want to set myself aside for somebody else. You're here this morning and you say, Pastor Todd, I'd really like to do that, but I don't know if I can. Well, you can't unless you say yes to the Messiah. You can't unless you make a decision to accept God's provision for you. That was born in the manger. You can't do it. So maybe the best Christmas gift you could get this year is to say yes to Jesus. Maybe you've heard it a couple times, a hundred times. I don't know. But maybe this Christmas might be the first Christmas ever you stop and say, you know what? I'm accepting the gift of my Savior this Christmas. I'm saying yes to that gift. I'm putting faith in that gift. What I think is important is we will know that you've said yes to that gift by what comes out of your mouth and your lifestyle. Well, no. Maybe you need to stop right now before it gets any busier, before you have to go to any more Christmas parties, 
and say, you know what, hold on, time out. I need to stop and ask Jesus for help to be a servant this Christmas. I don't want to make this Christmas all about me. I just want to stop and say, thank you, Jesus, for being born in a manger. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for me. Because I've heard your voice, I've heard your words, I've heard my father talk to me. You know what he's saying to you? You want to be great in this kingdom. Make a choice with the help of the Holy Spirit to be at servant. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your words to us. And thank you for being honest and asking us to do not always the easy things or what comes natural. Thank you, Jesus, for doing what did not come natural. But you wanted us to see an example. So, Father, may we compare our lives to that example, to compare our lives to that example and to that example only. Father, would we resist looking at people around us that we might, oh, I'm a better servant than that person. I'm better than those. No, no. Compare your life to the one that was born in a manger that died on a cross. Compare him to that. If you're here this morning and you're tired or you're frustrated or you're discouraged, it's okay. Because we're a family. We've gathered together in our living room. We've come to hear our Father's voice. So he wants you to hear this. You want to be great in his kingdom? Ask for help. Make a choice. He'll help you. He loves you. He loved you enough to ask things of you so that you would depend on him. Father, if there's somebody in this room that doesn't know you as their father that's never put their faith in Jesus, that's never received the free gift of salvation. Make today that day. Make this Christmas their Christmas. Father, you know who needs what this morning. We're excited that we don't have to have the answers, but we have the Savior. So may we turn them to you this Christmas. Father, as you look down on our family, I ask that we would partner with you well in the gospel, that we would partner with you well in spiritual growth, and that we would partner with you well for being servants. May we be reminded daily of what you've done for us and how we have the privilege to give back to you with the help of the Holy Spirit. If you're here this morning and you say, you know what, Pastor Todd, I'd like to pray with somebody or I'd like to talk with somebody. We have the What's Next ministry out the back. There's people there who would love to talk to you. Enter, exit out the back of the sanctuary, second door on the left. Father, thank you for this season. Thank you for your words. Now, Father, help us be obedient. In your name I pray. Amen.